So late this uh this pandemic has made me ugly. I haven't been able to get a haircut. I'm over here looking like a gremlin. <laughs> is this why you don't have your camera on? This is why my camera's off. I got a hoodie over my head. I am trying to uh hide my shame. Oh man. Okay. So someone's going to be cutting your hair in like a hazmat suit on a sidewalk somewhere pretty soon? Yes. I don't care what I got to do. I'm going to let you know as soon as it happens, but um I think I got to get this done. So by the time our next episode rolls, maybe you will be beautiful again. Hi, guys. This is the Extra Spicy Podcast, and I am also an ugly Salejo. And I'm Justin Phillips. On this episode, we speak with the not ugly Mona Michael, a pop-up chef based in the Bay Area. I just don't understand how, how you can like look down the street and see somebody selling food to make a living and have a problem with that. She tells us all about how pop-ups like hers have gone through a lot during the pandemic and also before. And, you know, they're still dealing with snitches, with saboteurs, <laughs> with all kinds of madness. And she tells us all about it. So here's our interview with Mona Michael. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so happy to talk to you. I'm very excited as well. This past couple of months, we've always started with just checking in, like, how you're doing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with all of this everything. So, Yeah. What's up? How am I doing? Well, the timing of this is incredible because shit just went down last week. But um, so I'm good. I went through a slump, I think, like most chefs did the first couple months, um, especially because I was like making some serious moves at Diafa in the middle of all this. Um, and the shelter in place was very detrimental to that. So um I, you know, sulked for a little while. <laughs> um, but uh, since then, I have a business plan going for a fast casual concept. Um, that was not my initial plan because I didn't think it, we were going to be six months into this and still dealing with what we're dealing with. But then about four weeks ago, I started doing a Menaish pop-up, which is a Palestinian flatbread. And then somebody decided to call the health department on me last week. So oh they shut God. me down wow. on Friday. Oh, so no. that sucks. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's why I was like, perfect timing because, you know, things were rolling. I was selling out every Friday. It was all solid. Intuition like wrote me up. And then apparently the lines were pissing somebody off. So here I am. <laughs> really? Wow. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Like. We need to know the story. Yeah, so the person who called was a disgruntled customer? It's somebody disgruntled. I don't know. Obviously, it was anonymous, but we got a little glimpse of the um, clipboard that the health department person had. And there was like a photo of my chalkboard menu that was like set up pre-service a couple weeks ago. And the complaint was like, someone's operating without a license or something or other. Like, how would you even know how I'm operating? But, you know, so... Um, yeah. So they showed up last Friday with the cops oh, and like, wow. let me serve a customer and then came up to me and they're just like, we received the complaint and you got to shut it down. And I was like, cool. Are you like doing this to every other pop-up or is it just because they complained and she kind of just like brushed me off. So yeah, here I am. Wow. I'm trying to make it legit now. Oh wow. <laughs> so I can keep going. <laughs> That's so ridiculous. I'm so sorry. Yeah. You know, it's okay. It's it's just another hiccup, and what is, it's just going to take me registering with a kitchen and, you know, doing the whole jam to keep going. So hopefully by next week, I'll be back up and running. So pop-ups are everywhere, right? Like, 
they are such a ubiquitous part of the Bay Area, but I didn't realize that there was so much standing in their way that people could just be kicked out or shut down just so easily. Yeah. I mean, look, like, like you said, they, they're everywhere. They came to life like out of the 2008 recession and, you know, people needed a place to go and didn't have enough money to like pay for their own brick and mortar spaces. So they would hole up in other spots and street corners, wherever it wherever it may be. The like, pop ups used to be everywhere. But the weird thing is like where Mona got shut down in Emeryville, just Alameda County itself in the East Bay has always had this weird kind of uh, back and forth with pop ups. Because out of nowhere, I remember in 2018, um, there was a pop-up that was shut down and they got a note that said basically from the health department that, by the way, pop-ups are illegal. And it was the first time that anyone, I think, had gotten a note that explicitly said that, like, pop-ups are illegal. And technically, you know, the explanation was, you know, if a restaurant has a permit that allows the owners, the chefs of that business to cook food in the kitchen, you know, allowing some other business in there to cook is illegal because they don't have the same permits. You know, there's no way to check if they understand like health and safety standards, blah, blah, blah. So technically it was illegal, but it's just a, you know, it's it's a strange situation because they've always been kind of accepted. And part of that is because, you know, health departments don't have enough people to go out and check these places. But also, like, it's beneficial to the food scene all over the Bay Area because you get to it, it's a varied kind of experience. Right. Right. I mean, I can point to so many experiences I've had in the Bay Area where I got to try something really new or unique or daring that probably wouldn't have flown if the proprietor or the chef had to pay rent and all of these other things and yeah. appeal to a wide audience. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like investors. Yeah. It gives a lot more space for, I don't know, it's, it's sort of punk, right? It's like a zine. It, you get yes. the space to do what you actually want to do and experiment in a way that you can't really, if you're just doing something institutional. Exactly. And, you know, I, I love the idea that, they were just accepted, right? Because I remember two years ago when all this, like when this conversation first started, it was so surprising because we were so used to them. And then also like around that same time, there was a, a pop-up in the East Bay. And you and I have talked about this place a lot. Chef Smelly, who does like, you know, Creole soul food. And he'd been doing it out of this one place in like downtown Oakland for a long time. And when that place got shut down for, you know, being an, an illegal pop-up because, you know, pop-ups were deemed illegal out of nowhere, that kind of hit home. Like, holy crap, you know, if someone really pays attention to this industry that really makes the Bay Area beautiful, like this slice of the food industry, and really, you know, they really pay attention to it and try to, like, clamp down on it, 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 it would suck. We would lose a lot of great businesses. Yeah, and a lot of businesses, you know, you think about the kinds of people who don't have access to big bank loans or yep. venture capital investors or just investors in general, you know, right. the people right. who are doing pop-ups largely, especially in the East Bay, are people of color, are black people, uh, these entrepreneurs who really want a chance to do the kind of cooking that they've always wanted to do, but just don't have access in the same way as other people. Exactly. So when you are making pop-ups illegal, it just inherently shuts out a lot of folks who enrich, like you're saying, the culture of the food scene just by having a unique vision for what they want. That's a fantastic way to put it. Yeah. If we're trying to celebrate like diversity and inclusion in our food scene and we go about 
shutting off an avenue that directly benefits, you know, women and brown people, then how are we making our food scene more inclusive? Like it does the exact opposite, right? That's a very good question. Yep, yep, yep. So, you know, uh, before this, actually, Justin and I were sort of talking about how because of the pandemic, a lot of people have been moving online to offer their wares, right? Um, mm. Can you tell us a little bit about how you how you become your own sort of marketer? And you've done a pop-up before, like you're used to this, right. but I'd love to hear about your process behind just like establishing your sort of brand and how you get your name out there when there's so much competing right now. Yeah. So like, I wouldn't say that I had a specific procedure or process to this. I really just set um, in stone the direction that I wanted to go in terms of like being out on my own, elevating Palestinian cuisine and, and specifically like elevating is the key word, not preserving, but elevating is kind of the direction that I took from there. Like everything kind of focused on that from what I was posting, from what I was talking about, from the cuisine that I was trying to, for the cuisine that I was trying to promote, I guess. And it kind of just naturally started happening where like the rec- like people started noticing. And I also do think that Arabic food right now is like booming. Um, so that has helped a lot as well. But in general, um, I'm always active and, and trying to respond to people and trying to be present as a chef that's trying to appeal to the audiences. Um, but I guess when I manifested that or I, I went in that direction, it kind of all started manifesting itself. So I'm curious, actually, about your use of the word elevated, which you've clearly thought a lot about, right? And I know that to sort of break down the, like, semantic conflict, um, you know, in the food world, there are a lot of chefs who who say that they elevate X or Y or Z cuisines. And often that means, like, bringing European influence into it. And it has these sorts of, like, pseudo colonialist sorts of overtures. Um, But I'd love to hear about how you navigate that and how you sort of take that word and make it your own. Yeah. Specifically for me, when I use the word elevated, I've spent 10 years in the industry, right? And I've learned many different cuisines. I've French, Italian, Japanese. I've worked in a pizza establishment. I've kind of made my way around and and learned a lot of different different techniques across different cultures of cuisine and some of those techniques i have found superior to what i learned growing up for example or what i saw my mom do growing up where a little tweak in this process can like take it from like a homemade dish to holy crap, I can totally, I cannot make my food taste like this at home. And like, and it could be something as simple as, I don't know, with hummus, uh, how long you soak your beans and with what you soak them and how often you change that water and then your cooking process and then your cooling process, like all of those things matter. Um, So when I say that, my goal here is to take the knowledge that I've taken from across the different cuisines that I've learned and use those techniques to turn and I'm going to put this in quotes. I know people that are listening can't hear this, but to to put it in quotes, because it wasn't my word, peasant <laughs> food, which is something that I've seen being used to describe like meza restaurants, um, to take this peasant food that people are being annoyed that they're being overcharged for and giving them a reason to understand like what they're paying for and why it's different than the peasant food in which they've had at the hole in the wall place down the street. 
that's just always been my goal that it was a specific review I read one time and it stuck with me and I was like you know what it's kind of mean but that person has a point like somebody could go down the street and get this homeless and falafel from a corner store for a third of the price or a half of the price that I'm charging so what am I doing here to make it more worthwhile and that's like the important part yeah no I want to hear more about that like what (laughs) how do you kind of (laughs) seize that aesthetic and make it your own how do you how do you differentiate specifically um how do I differentiate specifically um I would say that I am not really afraid to take an Arabic dish and bastardize it for lack of a better term um to kind of mess with it and who better to bastardize a a culture's cuisine better than somebody of that culture. Like I'm sure if somebody that was not Palestinian did what I was doing, like tabula ceviche, like they'd be like, (laughs) somebody would be like, what the heck are you? Like, who are you? What, What are you even talking about? Whereas like I came up, well, I actually shouldn't take credit for that. My husband came up with that idea a while back and I was like, you genius. Like, and I took it and ran with it. And it's a beautiful thing because you get to see like, one, the connection between the two, like a Spanish dish and a, a Palestinian dish, how they how they combine so well together, but like what also differentiates it. And then you get to play around with ratios and, and seasonings and all that, to like really perfect it into what it is. So it's kind of like the fun, it's fun for me to be able to like make these connections across cultural foods and put them together. So you'll see my menus being like, fusion but not like in a weird way it's fusiony but it's not like obvious as to what it is when you first mentioned tabula ceviche i was like wait what <laughs> and then like as you described it i was like okay it actually it sounds really good um yeah. the way you sort of fleshed out the idea behind it I think that's what it takes right it just sometimes things sound so random but like when you actually hear like what's happening and mm-hmm. like you obviously the story behind it is so interesting um yeah you can really change the way the dish is perceived. Totally. Absolutely. I'm curious about what, you know, why did, what was the rationale behind you asking her about the use of the word elevated? I feel like that's significant. Well, first of all, I'm a Virgo, so I instinctively want to pursue semantic arguments (laughs) and I get really excited about, you know, word choice and meaning. (laughs) You know, it's Virgo season right now, too. So it's a very, very good time for that. Um, But people have asked me throughout my career as a food writer about cultural appropriation a lot, right? About what it means, why it matters, what it indicates, all that good stuff. And part of it is this discussion about the word elevate when we use it to talk about food or culture. Um, Oftentimes, you know, it's used by people who are higher up in the class or racial hierarchy to talk about the cultural products of people who are lower on that hierarchy, right? And the right. word elevation, to me, would indicate you're bringing something up. You're, you're, you know, you're going from floor one to floor sixteen in an right. elevator. You're bringing it up, and it can, that meaning can really become racialized and classed in a way that is ultimately kind of harmful, right, to the value suppositions of of cuisines that are the subject of this, like Mexican cuisine. You often hear about people serving elevated street food, for instance, or you hear yeah. about uh, French-trained chefs like Jean-Georges von Richten elevating Southeast Asian food or Thai food, Vietnamese food. So, you know, that, it has a lot of baggage. So to hear it being 
cited as an inspiration or the motivation behind Mona Michaels cooking was so interesting to me. And I wanted to pursue that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a unique perspective to hear because you're absolutely right. Like, especially, you know, as food writers, it is a term that years ago and even now, you know, often now used to get thrown around. And the question was always whose perspective like it's being elevated but who's going to find that food elevated, right? Like it's this kind of like savior complex of you're not going to like street food until I do street food through this, you know, I don't know, Eurocentric <laughs> lens type of thing that's going to make people actually want it. And right. to hear, yeah, and it's just like, you know, to hear a person of color, a minority talk about elevating food, I feel like that was just such, such a great, great question to, to, to kind of dive into. Yeah, and I think her rationale actually makes a lot of sense too. You know, I would never use the word when I write a, a review of anything, but right. from her perspective, it's about that value proposition and getting people to pay her and her staff a living wage in exchange for food that is seen as, you know, more cheap, right? Or yeah. affordable kind of. And it makes sense. It makes sense. Um, I still wouldn't use it, but I see her point. You would never describe something as elevated fusion food? <laughs> no. I mean, I, I would describe kidding. a heart rate as elevated, but food uh, or culture, no. Yeah. I, I feel like it's it's a, it's a on a long list of... Uh, it's one word on a long list of food-associated phrases that, you know, are problematic and we can do without. Right. It's her word, though. She can have it. Yeah. Let her take that thing. You're listening to the Extra Spicy Podcast. We will be right back after the break. I'm Solejo, and I'm back with Palestinian-American chef Mona Michael. Well, you mentioned earlier, too, that Arab cuisines are having, they're really well established right now in 2020, in the Bay Area especially. Is there, like, what is your evaluation of the scene? I would say that, I don't want to use the word gimmicky, but I feel like, and I kind of feel like this in the restaurant industry as a whole and going into different cuisines, like it's all about how you're selling it, the gimmick of what it is. And I feel like nowadays, like the Arabs that are out there, especially in the Bay Area, are definitely more like with the times and like modern and cool and hip and are like willing to break that barrier of like this rigidity of our culture and this um, uh, protectiveness of our culture and allowing it to open up into into other other things and other ideas and other concepts. So that's what I'm seeing. Like the fast casual concepts back in the day were just like, okay, like your homeless, your shawarmas and your wraps, and then you have the plate and then you can have like your kebab options and then you can have your, you know, it was just like very cookie cutter. And now I feel like at this point in time in the industry, um, places thrive most when they like pick a direction and pick this one thing they do super damn well and stick with it. And I think that's um, where I see kind of the world, the food world, or at least the Arab community here going, which is really cool. I like to see that. Yeah, it's an interesting contrast, too, between, you know, that, that continued openness and just the way American culture has sort of shifted politically in opposition to, like, the Arab world, too, mm -hmm. right? And, like, there's been a lot of really awful stereotyping and anti-Arab, anti-Muslim, like just sort of that region, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
perception and politics just on the national stage. I mean, ever since September 11th, I think that's been really hard. I'd love to hear your impression of that and just like how how that might have shifted or changed the, I guess, the, the younger folks like you who are in the business and being essentially a public face. Mm-hmm. I will say that like without any effort nowadays, like because we're just okay with who we are and okay with calling ourselves Palestinian, it almost automatically makes us controversial. It almost automatically makes us a spectacle. Just by saying, yeah, I am Palestinian and my cuisine is Palestinian, I've automatically become controversial. So for example, and I'm gonna go to my partnership with Shukshuka. Um, I really wanted to take it upon myself to set an example with this project and show that Israelis and Palestinians can work together and can enjoy meals together and really are very, very similar. The thing that we talked about the most um, or the thing that we um, enforced the most was keeping politics out of the narrative. It's very, very, very easy to do that when you're the oppressor and not the oppressed. So I found myself being quieter about things that I wouldn't normally be quiet about. And I started getting really uncomfortable with that. I was like, you know what? There is something going on in Palestine that I'm not okay with and I do want to speak out about. And I can't do that if the narrative that I'm stuck in right now is keeping politics out of my 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 narrative. So um, being an Arab that acknowledges the fact that they're an Arab in the U.S. is a political statement in themselves, even more so being a Palestinian that acknowledges themselves as a Palestinian and speaks out against what's going on back there. That in itself is a political statement and you can't escape it. And I'm the type of person that would just like to shut the fuck up and cook. I don't wanna be bothered. I just wanna make some bomb food. I wanna give people a great time. And that's what I wanna do. Fortunately slash unfortunately, because I've decided to embrace my people's cuisine, it's become political. There, I can't escape it, it's done. So shakshuka, I, I kind of decided to step away from it because I couldn't stand by it anymore. I also noticed that 90% of our clients were Israelis and my community wasn't ready to be in that sort of a situation in the setting. Most of the time when I did talk about that project to my family, to my Palestinian friends, they'd be like, are you sure that's a good idea? That was the initial internal response from most people because it's years of trauma, decades of trauma. And so I'm not sitting here trying to make a political statement, but I don't feel right not speaking out. So here I am. So for now then, you're, you're focusing on your Manish pop-up, right? Mm-hmm. And just trying to figure out how to get everything on the straight and narrow because there's narcs everywhere. Now I'm on the narcs. radar. Yeah. yeah. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> narcs. Yeah. So I'm doing that. Uh, like I said, I'm working on um, a fast casual business plan for another exciting concept that I'm going to be working on. Hopefully that'll be coming sooner than later. Um, it's all about finding the right location and all that. But um, yeah, pop-up, the Manish lady. That's what's happening right now. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. I mean, like, how do you even get permitted right now when, I mean, it sounds like permits are so hard to get and they take forever. Which is why I was just like, let me just slang some flatbreads for a little bit and like get this stuff going. Um, I started doing my research on how I'm going to get this continued and you're not allowed in person anymore. Like nothing's done in person. So I just called the planning department, for example, of Oakland, and they were just like, please leave a message or send us an email and we'll get back to you 
and only essential businesses are being prioritized right now. So I'm like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> like, what does that even mean? Like, so um, it's going to be interesting to say the least. I'm going to have to find a way to make it work so that I don't get shut down again. But girls got to make some money and, and feed the people, you know? I was just laughing about just, you know, the snitch that ratted you out. I'm just like, just the idea. I know who it is. I'm just not going to put anybody on blast, but I figured out who it is and they're uh, just fucking haters. That's all it is. Hey, look, it's like people are trying, <laughs> people are trying to hustle right now. If you take your time out of your day to report someone who's trying to earn a living right now, it just makes no sense to me. Like, it's so wild. Mind you. It's 20 minutes once a week. It's every Friday and I'm sold out in 20 minutes. Like, how did you even get mad enough to even like go and report me? Like, how did, how did it even get there? <laughs> so I like, honestly, when that happened to me last Friday, I hit up like broke ass cook and I was like, y'all, just so you know, this shit just happened to me. Like be on the lookout, be aware because like, I doubt that they're going to go searching for anybody right now, but like there are haters out there. So just be careful. Yeah, that's wild because there's so many businesses, like you mentioned, like Brocast Cooks, like Basuku Cheesecakes, like mm-hmm. you, who have had out of desperation to start these enterprises. Right. And, and it's just like it's just like kicking someone while they're down at this point because yeah. you're, you're not starting this because you're greedy or you want to make more money. Like you just want to pay rent. I have rent to pay. I got <laughs> bills to pay. I got an English bulldog, dude. Like those things are not cheap to maintain. Chef, like, chef, are you kidding? Chef, chef needs food, man. What are y'all talking about? Chef eats raw. He yeah. eats a uh, small batch raw duck. That little fancy boy. He's fancy. But like, you know, I mean, I'm saying it in jest, but like, yeah, a girl's got bills to pay. Like you're really over the 20 minutes a week. That's really, you think that's affecting you? Like, come on, man. So. It's the same thing with like people leaving scathing Yelp reviews on businesses that are, you know, solely doing like delivery and takeout orders. Like, come on, man, you can find yeah. a better way to direct that energy. Just yeah. not that way. The, the thing is for me is like, if you just came up to me and you're like, your shit's pissing me off, it's in my way or whatever the problem is, I'd be like, all right, how can we like compromise in this situation but you went straight to the health department and you never even walked up to me and said hello like you didn't say shit to me you just went straight to the health department like that's i don't know i i I agree i think that shit's like it's just ridiculous and it just shows a lack of empathy for like the human race like everybody's going through it right now you're gonna really like kick somebody while they're already down it sucks yeah i mean I, I wonder, too, because there are so many people who have recently entered this sort of market, like like the guys at Broke Ass Cooks and others, um, whereas, you know, there have been people who sell like churros on the subway or people who sell tamales who have dealt with sort of police and like all of that stuff coming down on them all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that, I mean, that people are changing at all with their like attitude towards like sort of like the off-market vendors like the gray market vendors um is there a lot do you have a lot further to go in in i guess repairing the relationship between between these vendors and like the greater public i mean like i think that people that are okay with it are okay with it and the people that are not are not and they're not because they're just like how are you i just don't understand how as a functioning solo human, how you can like look down the street and see somebody selling food to make a living and have a problem with that. 
that's not, I don't think that's something that like you can change about a person. That's just like a hater. There's not, there's nothing like it is like, there's no other explanation to it than you're just a hater. Like to even assume that I didn't have my permitting, right? To even assume that, cause he had no idea, it's, it's vengeful. So I don't think that that um, generally like there's gonna be this mass change in people's perspective of it. I think that the people that are cool with it are always gonna be cool with it. And the people that are not are always just gonna be bitter and not. Mm. Like, I think that what, I, honestly, I think what it comes down to is the bitterness. Like you watch the Karen videos of like, do you have a permit? And it's always like, I pay my taxes and I have my permits and I do this. And you're like, you're getting all this money. And I'm like, I'm not getting any money, dude. It's 20 minutes once a week. Like <laughs> I'm not putting you out of business with this. And I'm certainly not screwing over like the tax system by like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> Right. I mean, compared to how like billionaires get all their tax write-offs right. and right. But yeah, like it's small potatoes. Really, it's nothing. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I say people that give a shit about that are just haters. They're haters. This is what they are. I let them know too. I made sure to post it and said, "Hey hater, <laughs> fuck you." <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt, let me buy it. Thank you so much for talking with us, Mona. Thanks, guys. I'll uh, keep you all posted when I'm back up and running. Awesome. Oh, I can't wait. Could you just give us a line of just like where people can find you um, if they are interested in just following you on the internet just so that they know um, to hear the URL or whatever? Yeah. Um, if you want to follow me and the things that I'm doing, the best place to start is at my Instagram, Chef Mona Lena. That's Lena with two E's. Um, and uh, my link to my website's also there, but start there. I'm very active on my Instagram more than anything else. And that was Mona Michael, a pop-up chef based in the Bay Area. You know, the things that I got really excited about sort of silently during our interview were her points about how, you know, there are so many people in the region who are getting really comfortable with with being Palestinian specifically Palestinian chefs and making Palestinian food. You never, I mean, I guess if you're not familiar with the whole thing, right, with Palestine and sovereignty and Israel and everything in that region, you wouldn't really grasp why that label is political. But, you know, I think the fact that there are so many people who are just being out about it, out about like a basic part of their identity is so powerful. I know publications like even including ours and the New York Times have written stories about like this, you know, quote unquote rise of Palestinian food. And however you want to look at that, fine. But I do think it's significant that chefs are growing in confidence when it comes to identifying their food as uh, as Palestinian. Like that's a beautiful thing to see. Well, you know, tell me this, like what is the difference between black food and soul food? Is there a difference yeah. in impact those phrases make in your mind? Uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There, there is a difference between those two things. And call it saying your business is like a black owned whatever, a black restaurant and saying it's a southern restaurant appeals to different demographics. Like for me, if I hear a black restaurant, I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to swing through. I'm going to come through. It's going to remind me of like uh, Marshawn Lynch's like Rob Benz and the East Bay kind of thing. There's going to be a specific crowd that goes on a regular basis. It's black to its core type of thing. If you hear like a Southern restaurant, you know that they're they're trying to appeal to a crowd that's outside of people who look like them, which is cool. Like, do you get your money however you need to do it? But there there is something in the phrasing. And I think it resonates 
more with the people who look, you know, especially when it comes to black owned businesses, the people who look like the owners than it does the people who don't look like them, you know? Right. It feels like the difference between Robin's and Angelica's Kitchen in Berkeley. Yeah, exactly. Which is a little bit of like a bougie Creole-ish restaurant, right? If I remember <laughs> correctly. Yeah. Listen, you know, thinking back to Mona talking about saying, you know, she's a Palestinian chef. I wonder how that resonates with Palestinian people, too, in the Bay Area, right? Like, um, she was talking about how using the term Mediterranean or just Middle Eastern in broad strokes seems like safer for, I don't know, like white audiences that might go try out the food. But I wonder if it's the same way, like the hearing that a, a restaurant, it's a black restaurant, like a restaurant called itself a black restaurant. Um, resonates with me. I wonder if it's the same thing for like, you know, the Bay Area's Palestinian populace. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think that's so interesting. And I hope that we can really dig into that for another interview. So speaking of pop-ups and all the cool work that they do, we have a really interesting question from a listener about pop-ups and tipping. Here it is. Um, So we've got all these great pop-ups in the Bay Area right now. And I'm wondering... What's the protocol when it comes to tipping on Venmo transactions or whatever for pop-ups? Usually any profit goes to the restaurant owners, but in a one-to-two-person operation that's a pop-up, I've been assuming that folks price the items to their financial needs. In restaurants that I've gone to once or twice during the pandemic, I've been tipping 30% or more, um, but does that apply to pop-ups too? What do you think? I've been adding on a couple extra dollars. Am I fucking this up? Am I fucking this up? A question I ask myself every day. But also, this entire question about tipping was really great. For me, my answer is a little bit more simple. I just, I always think to overtip, especially when it comes to pop-ups. I, I'm not sure why that is. But Soleil, someone who eats around as much as you do, who has experienced so many pop-ups, I would love to hear what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, so... Let's pretend this isn't a pandemic, right? Let's just pretend normal pop-up times. We live in a normal world where everyone's fine. So as someone who's worked at pop-ups also and has put on pop-ups, generally speaking, you try to price everything so that you come out with some profit. You know what I mean? Like you get to set your own prices. No one else like the corporation or your manager doesn't tell you how much a burger should be so you can just say like you know to make x amount of money i need to pay i need to charge this much for a burger great yeah so the margins you have to trust that the money is going to the workers generally speaking pop-ups don't really have staff or if they do their family or friends so it's not this stark worker boss relationship and you hopefully can assume that they are going to be compensated fairly and tipped out fairly So I would just tip 20% generally because one, they're not paying rent most of the time. They are paying a little bit less for all that sort of overhead stuff. You know, the taxes question is a bit more nebulous. So just tip normally. Don't think too hard about it. I usually just go for a basic 20% and maybe 30% if they're delivering something to me you know, or or I'll add a delivery fee of some kind that feels fair. There you go, people. You needed it broken down to you, and you got it. (laughs) Thank you, Jenny Eagleton, for that wonderful question. Um, And remember, folks, you know, send us any questions or voice memos like that you may have about food, life, or anything else for our Dear Spicy Advice segment at extraspicy at sfchronicle.com. 
And that's all we have for today's episode. Thanks again to Mona Michael for being in conversation with us. You can read the transcript of our interview with Mona at sfchronicle.com slash spicy. Extra Spicy is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Erica Carlos is the producer of the show. If you like the Extra Spicy podcast, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me, Soleil-Ho, on Twitter at H-O-O-L-E-I-L. And me, Justin Phillips, at Just Mr. Phillips. You can support Extra Spicy and great journalism by signing up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. <laughs> Turtle power. <laughs>